and welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at protonmail.com. Yeah. Welcome on in. And it is a privilege and it is a pleasure to be in your ears for this episode. I want to start this episode and big happy birthday to my best friend and my pal. We've never needed to live in each other's ear. Don't need to tiptoe around each other with opinions or ass kiss when we're talking about stuff. Don't need to agree, see eye to eye and everything. And over this period of isolation, it's it's reaffirmed for me what what um what I always knew that I've got a best pal I've got a best friend and that'll never be in doubt so I forgive you for not joining me for your birthday drink last night and look forward to setting some new records when all this is over and happy birthday amongst the news updates boxing information the comings and goings and all the stuff and trappings that we've had over the last few weeks. We have a fantastic guest, as always, joining me this week. Just the one, because she had so much value and entertainment and fun and lessons. Stacey Copeland. You know, me and my boyfriend were wandering along the road uh, the other day when we went to drop off some food for me, me nan and granddad. And there's a little, little boy on his bike with his dad and he fell off. Dad, you know, was doing that. Come on now, keep going. You know, trying to GM up. He was afraid of getting back on. He felt a bit disappointed. He was a bit embarrassed because it happened on the road. And uh, he, but he got back on. He got back on the bike. Thought that in a, in a tiny split second is what sport gives you throughout your life. How is everybody? Mixed, good days and bad. Going to be brutally honest with you this week. I've had two bad days, one after the other. Monday was under ropes on Monday. Tuesday took a standing count. Really, really felt it Tuesday. Tuesday night, took a knee. Took a knee. And um, this morning, I bounced back. I came out fighting. I scored a winning round. So, we've got four rounds left in the week. What way is it going to go? You know. You know. Some of the themes and some of the cliches that are getting bandied around the place and the comparisons and the lazy narratives. I'm sick hearing about prison and release dates. And all this, May 5th, like it's going to be some sort of absolute and written in stone return to whatever quote-unquote normal is or was. Okay, you'd want to be very, very naive to believe that May 5th everything is going to start the way it was. It's not. Okay, there may be, maybe, some slight return. Maybe some slight let-up. And maybe there won't be. Are you going to be insulting to everybody else that has managed to keep the exact same conditions as you and the conditions as everybody the rest of us are you going to be the person that is just that ignorant and blasé and just give the two fingers to everyone else if you are good on you well done or are you going to be one of the decent ones one of those ones who can hold their head up at the end of it all and say Jesus that was a nightmare oh my god that was tough are you going to be one of those and say it was tough but I did it or are you going to be one of those that bottled it halfway through a month into it, five weeks in, how the rest of your life, when you know what's at stake, when you know the alternative, maybe not for you, maybe not for you, but newsflash, 
the world doesn't revolve around you or me. Okay? And when you think it's getting tough, and as I did last night, when I was sat there feeling sorry for myself, and when I was sat there knowing that one of the people who I love the most on this planet is struggling at the absolute lowest of the low, and there was nothing I could do about it. You know what keeps you going? The realisation that at the back of it all, there are people who have actually died. That there are people who have put family members in the grave. None, none wanted to go. Everybody had plans for tomorrow. Every one of them that went had plans for the next day. Every one of them dreamed of putting their arms around their loved ones again. And it didn't happen. Snap out of it. Get the chin up. Get the gloves up. And come out fighting. Because COVID-19, you're on the ropes. Very little credible or relevant information or news for boxing over the last few days. Uh, one article that caught my attention was a quote or a statement from Bob Arum. And he says that fighters need to be more realistic over their expectations when everything resumes. And uh, in my own opinion, and I'm going to vine, I would go a little step further to say that that would extend to promoters, matchmakers and managers as well. His rival promoter, Eddie Hearn, says he completed boxing, quote-unquote completed boxing, by conquering the US, Great Britain, Spain and Italy. How do four countries represent the boxing world, I wonder? Now I know promoters are promoters and they feather their own nest first and foremost all the time and every time. But how can he complete irrelevant... How can he complete boxing by including irrelevant boxing nations, yet ignore... His very nearest and dearest and most talented boxing source, certainly in Europe, in Ireland. He gave every bullshit excuse there was under the sun not to come to Ireland to promote a fight with Carl Frampton. I wonder would he rank among the fighters he regretted not getting, or letting go even. Another little statement that drags on and drags on and gets more pathetic as we go along, and I don't want this to seem like I'm all angry and anxious and all that. It's not like that at all. It's just, I'm poking fun at some of them, But it does get a little bit annoying when you see the rhetoric and you see how, in some terms, there's excuses made and there's there's narratives spun for. And one that really is starting to annoy me is this Devin Haney and the sycophants that are just unwilling to be honest and say, listen, son, shut your mouth, you were wrong. You should not have said it. No more further statement needed. You were wrong. Suleiman Hearn, first of all, it was Haney. And then Suleiman and Hearn jumped in to try and defend him. And not only that, by modern life, in the real world and by standards that have had to change, rightly or wrongly, over the last couple of years, he's bang out of order. Didn't offend me, didn't offend maybe you, but there are people, genuinely, and I don't mean, I don't mean the social justice warriors. I don't mean any of those sort that just get offended by somebody farting in public. I don't mean anything like that. I mean there are people who will legitimately be offended because of something that's happened to them before. So you apologise and you move on and you stay out of the limelight. Now had Di- had Billy Joe Saunders said what he said or had Tyson Fury said what he said would there be so many willing to defend him? You bet your life there wouldn't. He was wrong. He apologised. He should have disappeared for a little while or he should have tried to make up for what he did instead of having productive and positive conversations with Mr. O'Sullivan, who then, who then reinstates him as the world, the WBC email champion. Sorry, WBC regular champion. His promoter defended him. The WBC defended him. And they then reinstate him as the world champion. 
what does that tell him the next time he feels like saying and doing what he pleases? And with Hearn and Suleiman defending him, to me it reminded me very much of Ellen DeGenre uh, defending Kevin Hart and saying, on behalf of the gay world, you are forgiven. It's bullshit. It's a shit show. And at least in Kevin Hart's case, he apologised and he wasn't willing to apologise twice. Haney half-assed apologised and then employed his sycophants to do all that. So it's just a little bit, it's a bit disappointing and it leaves a bit of a bad taste. Personally, wasn't offended. Personally, I don't care what these lads say because when you look at them fight, you'll see what they're worth. And Haney will probably prove himself in time. Has he done it yet? No. He's a prospect. A very, very good one. But he happens to have the green belt around his waist. If I were Luke Campbell, I would be very seriously blowing up Mr. Hearn's phone and asking, hang on a minute. How come you won't represent me the same as you represent Haney? And as would Dillian White. And as I would if I were Callum Smith. Elsewhere, O'Hara Davis was still pawning any shred of dignity he may have had left in his boxing career by shit-talking with another fighter who was pretty much irrelevant to his career. He decided to pick a social media battle with Anthony Fowler, which really, like pretty much everything else OHD has done in his career, just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't. It doesn't. Because A, he has a contract to fight Tyrone McKenna in the final of the golden contract, unless I'm missing something. B, Ant Fowler is a light middleweight, at best, possibly, possibly more, by the time this comes back, and I like Ant Fowler. And C, the last three occasions that he's decided to open that big hole in his face and smack talk, he's been humiliated, in epic proportions. He generally comes across as a good guy, he generally does, when he's not trying to act the big guy, when he's not trying to shit talk, and he's not trying to be some sort of person he's not. But every time he opens his mouth and tries to be that person, it gets dramatically closed. Stick to the box in OHD. Do what you do best. And improve. And just on a more light-hearted uh, little piece to close out the news, I suppose, and more relevant to Enswell Boxing, I've had some really, really brilliant conversations and fascinating conversations over the last couple of days with some previous guests. And there will be some huge news coming over the next, as I said, episodes. And I, I I can't genuinely say a whole lot more than that, but just watch the space, and I'm excited about it. Genuinely, really excited about it. Can you hear my smiley face? If you're looking for a little bit of inspiration this week, if you're finding it tough, if you are needing some sort of insp- some sort of motivation to help you get through those days at this part of COVID nineteen isolation, well, here's a story coming for you from a absolute fantastic lady. She was born into a boxing gym. Born to box. Told then, as she grew up, that she wasn't allowed to box. She went on and played for Doncaster Bells. She represented her country. She came back to boxing and she's now the Commonwealth Champion. She's a professional boxer, 5-0. If you're looking for that kick in the touche this week to help you move along, well, let's have a listen here to Stacey Copeland. We're one of the sports who's most able to do what we actually do. Um. Because if you think if you're a swimmer, you're nowhere near able to do yeah. what you do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I know some of these that are getting ready for next year's Olympics have, like, bought really deep paddling pools. And they've put, like, a restraining 
they get like they've been, you know, swimming in these paddling pools with someone holding a rope round them. Uh, but that ain't the same as wow. doing lengths. Um, it's just not the same. And then, like one of my friends, I'm, I'm part of that women's sports trust, like unlocked program. Um, there's like 41 athletes on that, and we're all sort of, you know, keeping in touch every week. And you know, there's someone who does triple jump. Now, to be fair, I could probably do triple jump in my garden, but that's because I can't jump very far. But those people do like fucking meters and meters. So they haven't got a sandpit, they haven't got a runway, they haven't got, you know, any space that's big enough for, for them to do the jumps they can do. There's a couple of people in equestrian sports. Well, they can go and look after the horses, but they can't be doing jumps at the moment. And, you know, and it, so when you actually think about it, shot put, javelin, there's loads of sports where they can do stuff that's sport-specific strength and conditioning or cardio or whatever, but they can't do that actual sport. Whereas for us, by and large, you know, if you've got space to shadow box, you can do every movement that you do in your sport and it's realistic. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate that my boyfriend's been doing pads for me. We've just picked up a body belt. Um, Ouch. For us to, for, for, for me to, you know, continue what what resembles quite a bit of training. Obviously, it's not the same as being in the gym. It's not the same as pads we coach. It's not the same as sparring. But I think we're really fortunate. There's a lot of what we would do. And like loads of people have got bags in the garage or their house, so they've got them outside set up now. So a lot of boxers are able to do a lot of what they would be doing. And I think that helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I do think you're right. And I think what it's what we're finding as well is, um, obviously, there's, there's the, when it comes to sparring and it comes to, um, you can do a certain amount of pads work with the sparring. But by and large, I think when this lifts and when the new normal comes back, whatever that new normal is, two things to it, I believe. The new normal will be better. I think we, 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 we've, we've managed to refine ourselves. I think people, by and large, as a whole, if you haven't realized what's important after all this, well, then you're never really going to, are you? Yeah, you're and the, other, and the other side of it is, I think, boxing, as you said there, because of the simplicity of it, really, when it boils <laughs> down to it, they could essentially put two fighters in the ring with a ref and maybe limit the cornermen to one and put cameras yeah. forever. So the shows, when they come, they're going to come thick and fast. So that's a good, that's that's been the positive. You know, I was talking to my coach of the week and my teammate, and I was saying, we need to, like, stay as ready as possible because so there will be some boxers on the periphery who just sack it off yeah. for the year now. Who People who need a bit of an excuse, they always exist. They're usually the loudest <laughs> on social media. Yeah. But in real life, we know there's a, there's some of them who are like that who don't actually put it in and don't live the life. And for them ones, this is a get out, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and a reason to say to themselves, ah, oh, well, you know, there's another couple of months and then it's summer and nobody boxes in the summer anyway. So that's summer off. And then you're looking at September and then it's Christmas. So I might as well, you know what I mean? So there will be some of them who they'll just sack it off for the year or they'll have, they'll have had best intentions, but they'll put loads of weight on and won't have pushed himself in the sessions. and So actually, that's an opening for those who do stay dedicated, who, once the lockdown's lifted, um, obviously, they're not going to be able to put shows on straight away because people won't have been able to train. So there's going to have to be at least eight <laughs> eight weeks or something for people to get in a real camp and spar and everything. But those of us that haven't got a load of weight to lose and have kept a reasonable amount of fitness, we'll be able to hit the ground running, get in them camps, smash it and be ready to fight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
I think so you're right. Got Dude, to, I think you're right. I, I, spot, I chatted to Victor Abbey here last week, and he had just signed a deal. He's a, he's an, a professional here based. He has been based in Ireland, but he trains with uh, Stephen O'Rourke, who would have originally been from Manchester. You might know Stephen. Um, yeah, that's great, yeah. They go over, and he does some work there with Ricky. I think they do some work with Kieran Farrell. And, and, and Victor made the same point, that he's he's absolutely on top of making sure that it's a, there's certain parts of it are harder, but he wants to make sure that his weight and everything stays right so that when it comes back, like you said there, he wants to hit the ground running. You're not trying to get the weight yeah. off. You're literally getting in sparring. You're getting your stuff ready and you're staying sharp. So I think you're right. I think the ones that are that live the life that are at the, the tip of the spear, I suppose, and doing it right. And in fairness to you, you were close to, I don't like saying using cliches, but having had the injuries and everything else, the brace was working, wasn't it? It, was, it looked like you were looking yeah, strong. You well, were moving well. That, that's another thing I was chatting to my coach about that, to be fair, I've been I've been training really hard for eighteen months now with absolutely no fight. So this isn't massively different for me mentally. Mm. Obviously it's different that I've had to shift to training at home. But in terms of you know, I know a lot of fighters find it exceptionally difficult to eat right and train hard unless they've got a fight date. And I get that. You know, the eating don't really come in until you've got a fight date, let's be honest. I mean, I'm eating well in lockdown, but I'm not eating like I would in a camp. Because that'll come, and you don't want to do that too early, because you get burnt out, and you you know you you've got a miserable existence. So yeah. you you have to have a bit of a balance right now. Um, but I think in terms of the training bit and and all of that, but like I have been training really hard for all this time with no fight date and no guarantee of a fight date, just in the hope that I'll find a way to get through these injuries and. So in, in that sense, I've, I've kind of trained my mind to be able to not rely on a fight date to push myself and just know I've got to do it because that time, you know, and believe that time will come without tangibly knowing it, if you know what I mean. So I, I, I suppose I've been in this situation for 18 yeah. months for and different reasons. There was a there was a boxing show in Nicaragua this Did you see it? Though. Did you see with yeah. the spray and the, and the mask? Yeah, and they and sprayed down the fighters. <laughs> to be fair, there's some fighters who could do with being sprayed down with disinfectant anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. For these that don't wash their hand wraps, they need fucking spray oh. daily. <laughs> uh, and, and some just for their personality or lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> Little Terry Harper. And look She's at her. Great. Just Absolutely. look at her go now, I isn't it? just her for that lockdown live thing last week. With 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 Steffi, no, just on her own. I'm just doing um, a lockdown live with boxers and I've, oh, I've interviewed brilliant. some coaches as well. Just because there's a few parents who've been messaging me saying, "Oh, like you know, kids who we've had in the gym who've who've come to watch training and who I've met, and they've kind of their parents have messaged me and said, "Oh, it's been like you know really difficult. And what do I do? They're really struggling. Like the gym was the life." Now, if it, the old kids who yep. are a bit off the rails, as we know happens, and boxing like yep. just sorts them out, and now that's been taken away, and they're really struggling, and so are the parents who don't want to do them. So I thought, right, I'm going to start some interviews where. So I've done them on a Monday and Wednesday at 8 when most kids would be at the gym. You know, for junior sessions, they usually like Mondays Brilliant. and Wednesdays, aren't they? Um, so I've interviewed. Terry Harper was one of them. She was absolutely. She's the only one I haven't met in person I've interviewed, and she was absolutely great. Um, so we've done um, uh, Savannah Marshall, who was brilliant. Um, Chantel Cameron, who obviously I've been teammates with them at, at England and GB and everything. Um, interviewed uh, Rachel Bauer, who was an amateur boxer, but now she's an England coach. So I thought it'd be good for the young'uns to yeah. hear what's the, what's the talent pathway, how do you get onto the England 
team, what's important now, what are they looking for. So there's a lot of young lads that tuned into that one as well because um, she had some really good information about what they what they look for. There's like this um, anagram thing. Bloody hell, I can't, I've got it written down and I've, I've posted it after, but it was like resilience, like, you know, these different words that they look for. And none of them were to do with technical or tactically. Tactical, what you do in the ring, they're all about your makeup as an athlete, you know, mm. like those attributes, which was interesting uh, to get kids thinking about, you know, your jab can be this and that, but if you fall to bits when you get to a tournament, you can't handle the environment. You're 100% right, and, and there was very much in Terry's last fight, which people that didn't see her aren't aware for it, just, she, she just won a world title in her 10th professional fight. With, with, with being honest about it, with nowhere near the amateur background, the amount of fights that most people would have. So she's oh, just, no. she's absolutely just sprung to life and thrived in this professional environment, which doesn't happen all that often because we, no. we've had some phenomenal pro amateurs here. I mean, Mick Conlon, in Paddy Barnes, oh, we've yeah. had, who've just absolutely cleaned up at amateur and come yeah. through. And Mick really now, and I've said it to him when I spoke to him, He's really only shaking off those amateur rankings now. So, but with Terry, she came in that fight, and it was there. It was in the melting pot for until maybe the third, fourth round, and it was almost as if someone flipped the switch. And it was just yeah. so special to see. And when you see her interviewed, and she's talking to Steffi, and she's Andrew, and, and it's just so beautiful. It reminds us that you don't have to be a real ass. Exactly. And I've got Tasha Jonas on tonight, oh, and of course, them two are, are going to be fighting each other. And I was saying to Terry last week, like, you don't need to do... Neither of them are trash talkers. Yeah. They're not... They're, 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 they're proud, and they'll answer back if people have a go at them. But they're not people who'll start all that. It's not their style. And I said to her, like, you don't even need to, because it's such an intriguing fight for people, which is exactly what the sport needs, is these domestic rivalries now. And they don't need to be doing all that. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes um, you don't like seeing girls or lads like that fighting when they're just genuinely good, nice people who yeah. just want to... And you kind of think... I'd rather not see them fight because they're just nice, you know. And, and I know. Like, Crawler and Linares to do none of that because they're just both, you know, I mean, Crawler's just a fantastic guy and um, quality boxer. I mean, Linares is just, like, yeah. unbelievably talented. You've just nailed it there again. Crawler is another fella. And, and it brings it back, and look, I'm getting sidetracked here, but tra track record or records and always and everything else, it proves numbers mean shit. When you're a good person and a genuine entertaining fighter, a crawler's career was nearly over before it started, and look what he's his 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 gift is way way bigger than boxing. Look at him in the corner for Scotty Quigg. Look at him Absolutely. in the corner. He's 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 got his own, and he's doing giving back. Some people yeah. just don't understand the word giving, but they just it's all about me, 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 and I'm not even going to go down that road because we know where that's going to go. Um, yeah. I, I what's what's kind of I'm trying to encapsulate a little bit of of Stacey Copeland previous to outside of just where you're at right now, you're, you're standing on your record, you're 5-0 still, you're about to move 6-7-8, go through the ranks. But you're a former teaching assistant. Many people might know that. That's something else that's coming very relevant these days. Parents are having to become psychiatrists, they're becoming mum and dad, they're becoming teachers. NHS are getting the praise they deserved. Probably over, well overworked for years. But people are now starting to appreciate all the jobs that they just didn't realise were being done. Um, do you think that that is... Another that's another positive, I suppose, that can be looked at, isn't it? If we're looking, yeah, I just hope it's a positive that isn't a, a flash in the pan. I'm I'm still port staff at school. Um, I've gone down to one day a week now, though. Um, literally just after the February half term, that's, I went that's down the big to one money, Stacey. That's the big money. You see, you don't need to <laughs> you don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> you know, there, there's a couple of reasons for that. Really, one reason was um, to uh, well, it's coming up to 
three years ago now, but um, uh, sorry, two years ago um, in February. But um, yeah, the, the because of the changes, we became an academy from a, an local authority school, like a lot of these academies are happening, uh, and it's kind of a way of privatising the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, our school took on an executive principal on 130 grand a year, um, whereas teaching assistants earn between ten and a half and twelve grand a year, so he was earning thirteen people's wages. But anyway, um, they they, were, they went through this massive uh, restructure, uh, as they call it, um, which involved thirty-two people proposals for redundancy, and I was one of them. And because we're a very very heavily unionised school. Um, like we're all either in unison or you know the teaching unions um we all got together and it was just incredible like that the, the movement and camaraderie of the staff and how they stuck together was incredible and threatened strike action so we got through that and there was only two redundancies in the end um from 32 so it, it basically didn't happen but i made a promise to myself at that time um that i would never be in that position again because one it was I mean, it was a massive sucker punch because I loved that school. Yeah. I still do. I loved the kids, the community, the staff. Um, you know, I've been full time for eight years for everything. Through you know, actually, when I started boxing is when I started at the school. So it always gone hand in hand, and it was a massive part of my life. And it was um, devastating when when that all happened because it didn't just happen to me. It happened to all the people who I knew had incredible, you know, dignity and work ethic, and they were so diligent and conscientious and. Just good people, really good people. Um, and they did it to all the people at the bottom. You know, the school gardener, the janitors, the catering staff. Do you know what I mean? Like, So anyway, um, so that's where I started to build up other things. And I got opportunities like the radio. I got the public speaking opportunities that before I would have turned down, that now I thought, no, I've got to do what's right for me. So I went down to three days at the school for like two years. And I've just gone down to one day. So... Um, I really, really hope that this is something that continues, you know, feeling appreciative of what they have labelled as low-skilled jobs, which it, that's why language is important. They're not low-skilled people, but they're low-paid, and there's a big difference. Um, and so, a bit, you know, hopefully we change that perception that that language of low-skilled stops us looking at people of, on a skill basis and instead looks at them as, do you know what I mean, what they are, which is low-paid, I mean... To be fair, there's a lot of highly paid jobs where where the fuck's the skill? You say about people reevaluating priorities, that that's within their own life. Hopefully, there'll be a lot of people who who've been work, work, work who suddenly go right bollocks to going back to that again. I've got family who I want to spend time with, my children who I want to spend time with, stuff I enjoy doing, and they've realised there's a different, you know, that there's a life they've missed out on, and. I think a lot of people after this, yeah, they'll be looking forward to going back to work and getting back to things. But I think, like you say, I think it's been a bit of a reset where they go, what are we doing to the planet? Look how much yeah. better it's doing now. We're not hammering it. And now I'm not hammering myself through work. I don't want to just wake up one day and think, Christ, now I'm ill. I'm dying. What have I done? Have I done the things that matter to me and that I love and been with the people that I love? So I hope that's one thing. But then also the priorities of who matters in society, let's you know, hopefully keep appreciating the people who actually are the infrastructure and the lifeblood of, of making society work. Um, hopefully that happens, but the, it, a lot of this is down to the media, isn't it? 
Yes. And until the media is run by somebody other than multimillionaires from other countries and foreigners. With an agenda. <laughs> with, a, with a massive agenda. It makes you wonder, because it's in their interest at the minute for us to appreciate these people, because they need them too, because they're losing money, and that's what it comes down to. Um, so as soon as all this is up, it'll be back to that, distract, distract, distract. So, but hopefully the people will remember, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so too, and and even down to the little simple things like being able to buy uh, hand sanitizer that you were, that were almost given away six months ago to being up to six seven pounds a bottle now and it, stuff like that i hope people remember and i hope i hope people in power remember because well, you know, i remember what people like branson have done and that dick tim who runs weatherspoons that when it comes to it they they don't care about the staff they don't care about stakeholders they want to take government money mm. i hope people remember how some of these companies have behaved and when, when i go public speaking a lot of the time, I don't really understand what a lot of the companies do. Some of it is very complicated. They do stuff with the cloud. They do this tech, that tech. I, I can't keep up. But the page that I look at is the values page. That's what that's what speaks to me. And that's the bit I'm interested in. There's no point in having all that on your website if at a time like this you don't live by it yeah. as a company. And in future, I'll be wanting to know when people ask me to go and public speak and talk about values and this, that, and that. I'll want to know. How did you behave and treat your staff during that crisis? Yeah, because we're, we, will forever be, we will forever be. I mean, we, we, we respect and we pay respect to people who survived the Great War. We, people, we, survive, we, we respect people who survived various different events in history. And this generation will forever be the, the people that survived COVID-19, rightly or wrongly, when the books are written. That's how it's going to be. So how do we want to be? And, and just to touch on what you said there, Stacey, I had a little incident about five years ago, four years ago. It was New Year, just between Christmas and New Year's. Long story short, I've told it on the pod before, but basically it was a storm. The car, a, a tree came down across the road, stopped. The car went about a foot under the tree. I, I was somebody somewhere was looking out for me, and at that time I was in the rat race. I was a million miles an hour. I was chasing my tail, looking six months ahead, and didn't have a clue what was going on under my nose right now. And that was the catalyst. It basically made me step back, look at where am I going, what am I doing, am I enjoying what I'm doing. All the things I thought I was doing for fun, for pastime, for a hobby, I hated. It was bringing stress, it was bringing drama, and systematically, one by one, in the four years since, I've taken it apart. And this pace of life right now, and I have to be honest, it suits me. I really, a little bit yeah. more interaction, a little, little bit, I'm not, I don't need a, ma- a massive amount of humans around me. <laughs> I'm quite happy to be <laughs> in my own skin a lot of the time, and I really, really love doing what I'm doing now, and, and it's 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 been just a series of events that has made me look at it and if this doesn't do the same for a lot of people well then it's not nothing ever will i believe you know and and um you're 100 percent right i really do think that but i wanted to go as well looking at you've had and and touching on what you said there a minute ago if you don't mind me saying you've had your share of bad luck over the years you've had injuries you've had uh, change you've had up you've had upheaval whether it's we can i don't want to go too much into it but there's a lot of people make excuses for less. And as you said earlier on, like if some people have been this year off and they'll sit back and get fat and they'll say, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm not going to be doing that for the rest of the year. But from like a little bit early day, right back to the early days, you, you trained in your granddad's gym. You were there from, from the early days. You grew up around real people. And not many people like that. Not many people like the reality or the straight talking. Do you think those early days and then, I suppose, having to leave boxing, do you think that has, from those early days, helped form your character that sees you get through and not look for the excuses? 
I mean, I think it probably has, yeah. I think it's a really difficult one, isn't it, to say where the stuff, let's say, has, has come from that, that, that we're made up of, um, whether that's, you know, resilience or people yeah. who are, like, really creative or whatever attributes we've got that we use and can channel and draw on. It's hard to say where they've come from, but I certainly think that, you know, when when you do go through times of adversity and find a way through it, in the future, when further tests come, you kind of know that you can because you've done it before. And I think because there was a lot of tests that came early for me, yeah. perhaps I started to build up ways and learn strategies to cope with setbacks, maybe. So, you know, a big setback for me was... Because to be honest, being in the gym as a kid, yeah. I didn't really notice that I was a girl, which sounds daft. Yeah, but no, you're right. Yeah, kid. yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? To me, there was no... I'm the only girl. It was just, I'm in the gym with yeah. all my little mates. I'm Stacey the boxer. With my dad, yeah, yeah. With, my, with my granddad, with the, you know, the, obviously the, the people I love and all my little mates. Having fun and boxing was fun to me. I absolutely loved it. It wasn't until that time when we went to granddad, me and a couple of my mates, um, and we were the age when you can box. And that's the point where we were like, oh, you know, ready to box, we want to get a medical and get carded. And it was like, no, you can't box. And obviously... I was told women's boxing was illegal and I was just like, what? I just couldn't believe it. Um, so that was like a massive setback. And then obviously simultaneously there were the barriers in football because girls weren't allowed to play with boys at the time and there was no girls teams because the football association didn't recognise it. And I just went home and said, right, mum, you're going to have to cut my hair short so I could pretend to be a boy and play on the team. And it was, and from that, you know, I was about seven then and it never occurred to me looking back to think, I was really humiliated when they because they made me leave the pitch in my first game for school because they realised there was a girl. And I know I felt, I didn't have the words for it back then, but now I know I felt humiliated and weird and thought, oh, I must be something wrong with me. But it didn't occur to me to stop. It was more like, right, well, how can I play? And God knows where that comes from. I, I do not know. But it was just there, thankfully. And um, I think from those early setbacks, um, perhaps you build that resilience with which to draw on and deal with the new things that come. And you don't always have the answers because each new situation presents different challenges. But I think you just know that, that you will because you have done before. Yeah, and for anyone that's not familiar, I just want to fill in the gaps as well because I get the last few weeks. I, the one another positive I'm taking from this is the podcast is after shooting up the charts in the UK, Sweden as well. Hello to Sweden, whoever's listening, wherever, what's going on? But UK, uh, Australia, Sweden, and of course Ireland, it's just going up. So I just want to fill in the gaps. Anyone that's not familiar, Stacey's dad is a former ABA champion and massively respected in the boxing sport. Injury paid a little, put a, put a stop to his dreams, and um. He then became Stacy because you weren't able to box. You went. You didn't give up. You you, you weren't able to box, so you got the haircut, and you 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 threw up. The, you flipped the boards if you like, and you said, "Right, we're going to play football, no matter what you say." And you didn't just play football. You you, you represented. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? It was pretty special too. Oh, I just had a, a, a incredible experience as a, as, a, as a footballer. Phenomenal. So I got to represent my country, which was brilliant, uh, obviously. And then um, I played for John Bells over in England, which is the team I always wanted to play for in the, in the Premier League. And then I got the opp- opportunity um, when I was 22 to go over to America, which actually also came from a, a period of massive uh, adversity um, when just something really, really bad happened in my personal life. And 
I had to move out of my home. There was a, a court trial. It was, you know, spending nights sleeping in my car and all sorts. It was a really, really bad time. And sport, again, offered me... Um, Escape. Just a, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it, at the time, I thought of it as, as, as saving me, so to speak. Um, but it actually was more than that. It, it, it gave me the opportunity to thrive because going over to the US on a scholarship was a massively life-changing experience for me. Um, for the mentors that I had there, the life that I had there, the opportunities, it was just incredible. And then um, I spent a pre-season in Brazil, which going there was as a footballer was somewhat of a pilgrimage, really. And then um, I finished my playing career in Sweden, actually, in, in, for a team in Stockholm. So I, ju I just had incredible experiences in football. And by the time I'd done everything I set out to do, which was playing an FA Cup final, play abroad and, and you know play for England, Boxing was legal by then for women. There was a national championships. Um, there was talk of it coming into the Olympics. I'd never stopped my boxing training. I'd always kept up with bo uh, boxing training during my football career. And during one summer when I was home from America, uh, I went to um, the women's ABA sort of, whatever it was, first or second round um, qualifiers in uh, Manchester and watched it and I thought, do you know what I can do this yeah. and it, it, it never went out of my mind so I was in a boxing gym in America I actually trained with a coach who um, had trained a female fighter years before Anila the Assassin she was called um, in Austin in Texas and so yeah I knew that once I'd finished that last season in football that I was going to box and um, I'm so glad that I made that decision it's a little bit like the the Smith song. There is a light that never goes out. It's um, it was there all the time, and you had to move on a little bit. And I know I'm drawing parallels yeah. to Manchester and the music scene because, for me, Manchester is all about Man United and the Smiths and music and amazing scenes. No, no offense if you're a blue or if you're a, but there's something <laughs> very special about a young Irish kid growing up and going across there. You're just, it's just all like to, to move from to go from Ireland to England for even just a couple of hours for a game was was something I'll never forget. And then you grow up looking at all those amazing bands. But it, there was always that um, adversity there. And it was always, like, along the road, it's like you've got to turn. I can go left and give up, or I can turn right and find a way through it. And it seems all the time, in fairness to you, you were taking that right turn. Is that fair to say? It was, like, because the U.S. Yeah, and it's, it, oh, I mean, it served me so well now. And, I mean, through it, it's just been the case that, looking back, you know, when things happen, like you said about, you know, your... You know your um, the car accident yes, incident, yeah. yeah. That kind of however the best way to word it, but your incident that made you reflect. It's at the time we don't know why these things have no. happened, and there's been things that have happened, and I felt like my whole world's ended. Mm. You know, um, and sometimes that has been just an injury, which on the scale of things, it isn't the end of the world, but it does feel like that yes, as a sports it does, person it? at the time because it takes away your identity, your purpose. You know it, what feels like everything, and you don't understand why. You know, and it's a bit like, why is this happening? And you, you know, you can end up feeling a bit sorry for yourself and feeling negative and all that, which is natural. But I think you have to believe that there will be good to come from it. If if you can't even see it straight away, then eventually there will be something. And looking back, there has always been that. Um, so the adversity I faced here at home turned out in me going to America and having. One of the best experiences of my entire life, without a doubt, um, and always will be. And then when I look at, you know, that very last year in America and I broke my leg, um, 
I, I came back for the you know the last few games somehow. I don't know, but I managed to get back and I scored the winning penalty that put us through to the Sweet 16 National Championships. And we flew out to California, and it was just unbelievable. It's just an amazing experience. And then in the, in the Sweet 16 game, we lost on penalties, and um, the girl before me had missed her penalty, and they'd scored theirs. I took the third one, and she saved it. They scored theirs, and it put them through. And, and standing there in that moment and watching them celebrate and feeling like the world ended, it's just it, it, football was never the same for me after that. Summit. It broke me out a bit, that last broken leg. And then I, I felt like then football had double-cheated me by, by not letting me score that penalty. It sounds ridiculous, but that's no. exactly what happened in my mind. I felt cheated by the sport and I knew it would never be the same. Now, I did go to Sweden because I'd, you know, I'd signed a contract. I'd promised the people, my best mate from America was going with me. So I wouldn't have let other people down, but I knew. And I still played well and I enjoyed piece, it and all that. Piece, it, a little piece you died with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah one the same. And, and, and then I knew it was time to box. So ultimately, who knows if I'd have scored that penalty would have ended boxing. I can't say. I don't know. But really, it was the only thing that helped me in those months after. Because I, I mean, I was properly devastated after missing that penalty and we went out. Um, was thinking, I have to do something else. Now, now, something good has to come from this and I have to chase that dream that I had to leave in the gym all those years ago of being a boxer. And it was the only thing that kind of kept me wanting to get up in the morning for a while. And um, So something good came from that. And then I had a brilliant time in boxing and got to the point where I boxed for England, went to the European Championships, got that silver medal. That was a massively pivotal point for me. Profound impact on me, winning that medal and my experience at that tournament. Yeah. And then um, the year after was an incredible year. You know, I, I won the gold at multi-nations and best boxer of the tournament. I won the national championships. Um, I only lost one fight out of 14 that year, and that was very controversial. Um, it was a fantastic year for me. Um, and then in the January 2016, all the focus was on getting ready for the Europeans and the Worlds again. So coming off the back of a brilliant year in 2015, I was really buzzing. I knew I could go back and medal at the, the Worlds and the Europeans. It, I was just so excited. And then I got the knee injury in the January. And that should have been about a six-week recovery. I did really simple, straightforward surgery. Um, but unfortunately, they made a mistake in the surgery and I woke up with a ke chemical burn um, all over my leg, which they then kind of tried to cover up and say, oh, it's it's just a bit of a graze. It's, you know, and it got infected. I was rushed to hospital. I was, you know, hot and cold shivers, really ill. My leg was just, I mean, I couldn't have anything touching it. I couldn't, just horrendous. So... Eventually, after 10 days, I went to the Burns unit. They had to do this horrific thing called debriding where they take the dead skin off and poke pins in it and see where it's still alive and where it isn't. It was just horrendous. So that took me 12 months to come back from. And, and during that time, again, I missed the Worlds, missed the Europeans. I was really, really down. And then I did eat a serious amount. I was like 20 kilos over my fighting weight. And I thought, I'm, I'm just not going to get back. I'm not going to be able to come back from this. And, you know, I was, you know, 34 as well. And I thought, right, that might be it. And then something just kicked in and I was like, you're not done. You've, you've still got stuff to do. And I, I think that, you know, that ultimately was the catalyst for turning professional because I'd kind of thought about it, but with the Europeans and the Worlds, I couldn't think beyond that. Um, and the Olympics wasn't an option for me because I didn't have my weight. I didn't want to wait another two years to try and get to the Europeans and the Worlds. The thought of doing the national championships again wasn't appealing to me because, you know, I knew I'd be fighting 
probably the same people. It just wasn't enough to get me back from where I was. Whereas when I started thinking about turning pro, it gave me that equal 50-50 of excitement and fear. Fear of the unknown and that thing, voice in your head going, what are you doing? Like, there's not even, is there opponents? Is there, you know, there was enough of that that made me want to get up in the morning and work for it. So I knew it was what I had to do. So, like I say, maybe. Um, That's incredible. I don't know. And, and just, you just have just... to look at the positives, I suppose, and hope they come. And there again, it was the fork in the road. It was a left or right turn, and and between whether it was the chemical burn, just to touch on what you said about the penalty shootout there. I, I, as you were telling that story, I didn't know that one about the penalty. I knew, I knew you had. I just thought it was a natural progression that when football or boxing became available. But something came into my mind there. I listened to an interview with Sean Dyche did with uh, I think it was with Joey Barton not so long, and he talked about Sean Dyche, uh, the Burnley manager, when he played football and he took a penalty in a shootout for a playoff. I think it was for Burnley. And he said, that ultimately, he says, the decision to take a penalty isn't about scoring or about, being a, or about being able to score it. He says, are you able to miss it? And I just, I've never looked at it like that ever, ever before. His words came to mind when you said that there. But ultimately, I believe the overall picture here is that the flame and their true love and the real calling was, was boxing for yourself. And that that was the right turn that you needed at that point in your life. And if you're enjoying the first part, hold on to your seat because it gets better. It gets better. Just want to give a shout out and a mention and an apology to Stacey. As I was doing the advertisement and the graphic for this episode earlier in the week, would you believe I spelled her name wrong? And uh, I apologised and let her know and she corrected me in fairness, and rightly so. And I have corrected it, and rightly so. Uh, But I was advised in tongue-in-cheek fashion that uh, I may be on the receiving end of a winger when I do arrive to Manchester, so... Listen, it's done now. I definitely do not want to be on the receiving end of one of those. So apologies again, Stacey, and uh, advice taken. (laughs) Here's what I've been listening to and watching. On Netflix, it's been the next season of Afterlife by Ricky Gervais. And what a a special series. What what a truly special, gifted writer Ricky Gervais really is. I understand, um, somehow, he's not for everybody, but absolutely enthralling series and and, and it shows the sad, true, funny and the very real uh, facts that face a lot of people in these times with a lot of deaths and everything else but I don't want to give any spoilers, all I can say is get on it, it's fantastic and it has had this podcaster up, down, around and inside out emotionally as I've watched every episode over the last few nights and really really have enjoyed it. As I said it's been one of those weeks there's been more good, more bad days than good. There's been two bad so far, one good, and we're on the way back. But this one really is special. Another one that's real as you get, and for me, the best sports documentary I've ever seen. And that takes some saying because I've watched hours and hours of them. The Last Dance is the Michael Jordan and the Bulls, Chicago Bulls story. It is phenomenal. Again, I'm dying to give loads of breakdown on it, but I, I'm wary that not many or not all have seen it. But we'll hold on that one for a little while. Get on it. It's really, really good. If you're anyway sports orientated, if you like those true life sports documentary series behind the scenes, this one pulls back the curtain and lets you see the egos. It lets you see the realistic, all that goes into fellas like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and of course, Coach Phil Jackson. I can't recommend it highly enough. And the last one for, for Netflix for me for this week that I would say is worth watching is Money Heist. Season 3 and 4 is out now. It's an originally Spanish writ series. It has been dubbed into English, just you don't notice it after a while. It's not that realistic, a little bit in times, but it's enjoyable. It's really good storyline, it's really good actors and characters. 
So Money Heist is the other one for me. As far as podcasts this week, I've backed away a little bit because I've been writing a lot of my own stuff, playing a little bit of music and back writing a few songs, would you believe? Uh, for me this week, it will be Tris Dixon's Boxing Life Stories with my favourite, one of my favourites, Andy Lee, and Boxing Bands on YouTube. If you get to it, really, really, really good this week. It's really, really good every week, Kieran, with respect to you. And uh, he'll be on, Kieran McIver, incidentally, will be on next week with um, Ali Mackenzie as well. And we're going to look at the divisions of the BOI rankings in Ireland. So, Boxing Bands this week had... Terry O'Neill, the sports performance nutritionist, and what a, what an episode it was! Really, really well worth watching. So, they're my recommendations for this week. And one other, a little bit, a bit, little bit left of field for this week. There's a Facebook group. It's a page. I think it's a group. It's called COVID Sessions. Get along and have a listen to it. There are some really, really gifted Irish musicians and singers and creators out there, and they're coming to the fore at the moment. So, I shall, as always, put those links in today's show notes. Don't be afraid to get in touch. Let me know if you do happen to look or listen to any of these. Let me know what you think. And let me mention, last but not least, the charts this week. To appear in any podcast chart anywhere is mind-blowing. But to do so across three different countries from my own home here in... It's just way, way beyond anything I could ever hope. And, and I can't say thank you enough to enough people. And all the comments and everything else just, just really warmed my heart this week in what has been one of those weeks, shall we say. We won't dwell on that. We're getting back here to a story that everybody wants to hear the, the completion of. There's stuff happens. Now, do you find when you look back, you're able to join these dots and you think, oh, because if that didn't happen, this wasn't going to happen. And if that didn't happen, then do you find those little series of dots joining when you look at it now? 100%. 100%. And I, I try and use it particularly with, with young people um, when, like at my school, if they're struggling with something that's happened... Um, and with young athletes, if they're having difficulties, you know, there's a few at the minute who've been messaging me saying how much they're struggling. And I think, you know, I'll use those examples. In fact, just last night I was talking to um, a, a women's football team in America that's now coached by someone who, you know, I used to play football with years ago. And he asked me to do like a Zoom. So there was like these 30 Brilliant. players on the Zoom call who I was talking to in America, in Indiana last night. Um, and again, I, I was saying, you know, right now, it won't make sense to anyone why this is happening, but each of us will look yeah. back on it and we'll see that it's been a pivotal thing one way or the other. Um, and it, I, I kind of gave those examples of when that's happened for me. Um, and like you say, when you look back, do you know that, that I was meant to make my professional debut um, in the in the March, it was, on Pat Barrett's show as it happened. And then I got, uh, like, literally two weeks before, I got a back injury which was really bad. Never had a back injury in my life, and it, I got one. I ended up having to have an epidural to, like, relax Jeez. the muscle, and it was, uh, you know, again, at the time, absolutely devastated, thinking, oh, my God, I've, I've come back from this burn. I've been training for all this time to come back, and now this. What You know, and actually what happened was it ended up happening in June. We had to set it back a bit, uh, which by then, the horrendous bomb attack had happened in Manchester, yeah. so it was a very emotionally charged night that but it happened when it was meant to happen and it was it ended up being the right thing and then you know you fast forward you know um a couple of years to you know the Middleton Arena when I was due to box that night and it was my first eight rounder um because we knew there was a potential that I could have the shot at the Commonwealth title in Zimbabwe so we got an eight rounder so that I'd, you know we got a really durable journey woman so I know I'd get the rounds under my belt um 
And, you know, we spent a lot of money because she wanted a big purse. We flew her over here. You know, all of them costs, which some of it was sponsorship, some of it was my own money. Um, and then 10 minutes before the fight, the whole thing gets cancelled because someone was stabbed in the lobby. So your very initial panic is, Jesus, my friends and family are out there. Like, is it one of them? Have they witnessed it? Have they seen it? Oh, my God. I've brought them here. What have I put them through? And you're panicking through that. Then I knew they were all safe. And then the reality sinks in that, oh, my God, I've just lost three and a half grand in a heartbeat and not even had the fight. And it was it, it was rough that, you know, it was... And actually what I did that weekend was went and ate everything that I'd wanted to eat for all the months that I'd been training. Yeah. Ended up throwing up on the Sunday night because of that, that much rubbish. My body was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and on the Monday, I was in bed feeling proper sorry for myself. And uh, my manager rang me, Paul Speak, and said... Um, I've got some good news. The Zimbabwe fight's on. You're going in uh, six weeks to fight for the Commonwealth title. And I was like, jumping up and down, shadow boxing. And then, <laughs> you know, even though I've been dead ill growing up all night, suddenly I had a big adrenaline rush. And I was like, yes, I could do it, I could do it. And that was it then. It flipped the switch. And, you know, we were we were in the climate chamber training. I mean, never trained for anything like that in my life. From that horrible moment came this most incredible thing of going to Zimbabwe. And, you know, uh, and then after that, there was more adversity to come. It's never linear, is it? That never, pathway? never. I mean, for some people, it might be. There will be some people who that does happen, and that's great. But for some of us, that's just not. And I think what, what I've kept in my head is that when, when I set out to, you know, try and become a world champion, I never said only if everything goes my way. That was not on the end of that statement. It was, you know, I want to be a world champion, whatever it takes. And I didn't know what that was going to take. I didn't know it would take dealing with the setback of a stabbing at a, a boxing event that I was at and losing all that money and going through that horrible night. I didn't know it was going to mean, you know, um, two surgeries, you know, a broken this. And <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yes. I, I didn't know, but I just knew that whatever I had to go through, I would, and I still believe that. And until I, I literally cannot try because my body takes it away or whatever takes it away, then, then I won't. And, since I've passed my medical and got my license again, you know, and I had, and then two weeks after this happened, I also didn't know a pandemic was going to happen, but it has, and I'm still going to have to find a way through it because I'm, I'm still want that world title. And you are finding a way, and, and you're absolutely finding a way through it because another path that's, and, and this moves lovely along, and I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, is your Pave the Way Foundation, which is, I spoke to you the last, the, the last time I spoke to you, you had just about set out, you were just meet, about to meet with Sport UK, is that a Sport GB? And you were, is it GB? Sorry? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, Sport England and UK. Sport, Sport England and UK. And, yeah, and you were presenting the Paved the Way. Um, but for anyone that's not familiar, do you want to give us just a... You're an advocate for, for in, incredible things, allowing people to live their, their best lives. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that and, and just uh, in your own way? Yeah, words? sure. Yeah, so Paved the Way came about... Um, the name itself came about because when I started boxing... Um, the one a natural boxing nickname for me, you know, like people have the assassin or the hitman or whatever. Um, because my nickname is SpongeBob SquarePants, and uh, <laughs> that's because um, whenever I get injured and put weight on, I turn into a square-shaped human being. So my friends affectionately have always called me SpongeBob, which isn't a great name for a boxer, really. So we knew we couldn't go with that. So they love uh, you really. They love you really. <laughs> I know. So I decided. Um, to go with something that I stood for and I believed in, which was paving the way for the next generation. Don't quite know what, how that phrase came to mind, but it just did. Very and it, it just felt right. 
Um, so that that's 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 where that came from. Then the week of my debut, because it had been put back, ended up coinciding with what was called Women's Sport Week, which that was the last one that was ever held actually in England. And what it was was where different media outlets had focus on women's sport for one week and then forget about it for the other 51. <laughs> um, and I'd always done other people's projects for Women's Sport Week and I wanted to do my own. So I thought, oh, why not do a paved the way project like for one week? So I did like two school visits a day throughout that week. I did a community place each night because it was a week, you know, I did my debut on the Friday and it was a week after. So um, I wasn't in the gym. Um, we did a photography exhibition of women who work in sport. So I feel like they're largely invisible, which is now on yep. permanent display at the, the, the Velodrome, the National Cycling Centre in Manchester. So there's loads of stuff we did. And I thought it would finished there. But it really picked up momentum and people were starting to use the hashtag paved the way and sort of get it. And it started out just about girls and women in sport. But as the last couple of years have gone on, it's it's just really evolved, to be honest, and changed in two ways. One, that it now includes other industries because through public speaking, I've met so many women who they've had the same experience and barriers, but in law or tech or construction as I have in sport. So I thought it needs to go beyond sport because this is affecting other industries. And also, sport's one of the most powerful things on the planet for bringing about change. And what, what happens in sport impacts home life and work life and other parts of society. So it made sense to use that as a catalyst for change. And the other way that it's changed is it's become about equality for both genders. Because since I've been doing this, I've had a lot more contact with parents who've said, do you know what, my son faces the same stigma, um, that he really loves ballet, but he's given up because he gets picked on. And it's actually not gender that's the issue, it's masculinity and femininity that, yes, there are differences biologically in gender, that, that's fine, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, how it is. But what we kind of say is attribute certain masculine and feminine qualities that society thinks should go with that, that gender. And, it, you know, it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily the case for everyone, and if you if you if you have a passion for something that goes against those um, definitions, then you face stigma. And it's you know I'm one example of someone who's still done what I love despite it. It's been a massive barrier, but I've still done what I loved, and that's why I can tell this story. For me, what's sad is the thousands of people who now their story finished years ago with a big full stop when they said yes, I loved that, and then I gave up because I got picked on. And their story didn't go forward. And imagine what they could... Imagine taking this football and boxing away from me and my life. Oh, my God. Yeah. Totally different person. Totally different life. And there's thousands of people who that's happened to, whether it was, you know, the, the women I've met who will come up or contact me and say, I really wanted to be an engineer. And when I tried to take it at school as an option 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I was just told a flat no. And they've had a completely different life now that they could have... You know... And that's not good enough. I think we should be doing better. So pave the way is about, you know, trying to remove gender as a barrier to human potential. And when I say gender, I really mean masculinity and femininity, but it's just too long of a sentence. In my opinion, and I'll argue the case, if, if I have the greatest athlete ever to come off this island, whether it's in soccer, whether it's in rugby, whether it's across the board, is Katie Taylor. In, and Taylor, it's not yeah. just because of boxing. It's not... But a very close, no. a very close behind her, and by the time her career is done, would be um, Kelly Harrington. Kelly Harrington, and, and it's 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 not because just purely boxing. It's because the way they represent in total different styles. Kelly Harrington, you you mentioned her to me before when you saw her walking to the ring. I've said this numerous times. As boxing ring walks go, 
it's something to behold. She walks to that ring. She looks like somebody walking into the Coliseum. And she's really, when you listen to her being interviewed, she's a total different person. She's one of the most, but it's the transformation. But now you look at Katie Taylor. She doesn't speak very, very, because she doesn't need to speak. When she walks to the ring, she's almost, she's humble. She's ambling to the ring. But she gets yeah. in the ring and the bell goes and it's a total different story. And and yeah. that's what I don't, for me, respect is respect. Whether you're Martian, whether you're Protestant, whether you're Catholic, whether you're from, whether you're Hindu, I don't care whether you're from Pluto, I don't care whether you're male, female, what you are. If you're a good person and a decent person and you're nice to everybody else, well then er, you deserve all the respect and all the admiration and everything. that, I, And that's it for me. If you're, you can claim to be something else and be an asshole or have a really shit personality, well then, I'm sorry, I don't care what you are either. Because if you can't be decent and can't be nice and give everybody the same little bit of respect, well then, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, does it? I've, I feel the same. And that's when people say about, um, you know, people who you yeah. <laughs> admire or have influenced you or the ones you look up to, blah de blah it, It's not the people from afar who I haven't met quite often, you know. You can admire what they've done. You can always do that. Like, even if you know someone's really not a nice person, but they've, you know, been a double Olympian or they've (laughs) won the world title, then obviously you can admire what they've done, because that is an incredible achievement. But admiring them as a person is a very different... It's a a different thing entirely. And that's what's great about Katie and Kelly, is that, yes, they've achieved incredible things as sportswomen, but they are brilliant human being yeah. and that that's that's a whole other element um and listen them. i'm i'm just picking the irish um examples because let me tell you stacy since i started this yourself highly up there among really up there at the top with the likes of jane couch um i'm talking about people across the board that have just done phenomenal things and and continue to do so times like this we'd all be forgiven for going into our shell and looking after ourselves and if that's what some people have to do but these are the times when the leaders come to the fore and i think that's what we're seeing right now it's it's um you're starting to see special it's okay just to if, if you can just look out for yourself well then that's cool but when you see the gift and you see the leadership come to the fore they're not always those people that are paid the hundred thousand salaries are they do you know that's what's been really interesting because actually when i look on you know a lot of my social networks are like the other sports women from the women's sports trust unlocked campaign that we're part of which is about unlocking women's sport you know finding a way yep. to unlock things in women's sport and um, they're all from, you know, sports that are just funded by Sport England or, you know, the Olympic programme. So they're on a, a, just a normal livable wage. Some of, lots of them are working like me. They, they work alongside doing the sport. Um, so they're not full-time athletes per se. And all of them are doing something. And then you look at some of these, you know, <laughs> multi-million pound people and not that they should have to be doing anything at all like you said if they want to stay in that's fine but it is interesting looking at who's doing what and you know when you've when you've got something like sport particularly sport and music or the arts in general they're a fantastic way to engage with people at any time but they can be uplifting at a time like this and i think you know those that have, have got the ability to pick up a guitar and connect with people or you know do theater and connect with people or in, in our case do sport then use it, you know, use it for good. And that, that's just about the best thing that you can do with yeah. the skills that you've been gifted. And I, I think that, that that's a great saying, that of those who much is given, much is expected. And it's true, it should be. that You know, I've been given a lot. I've been given the ability to speak and share my message with people, the ability to, you know, do different sports and connect with people and, and a passion for making a difference. It's a, 
real passion of mine. And it's arguably harder to do in lockdown because you can't have that physical um, closeness with people and, you know, go to businesses and go to schools. But there are ways to do it. So I'm doing free online fitness classes for people. I'm doing this lockdown live. And, you know, there's ways that you can still have that like you're doing, have that meaning in your life even during lockdown. And But if you didn't have that meaning before, it doesn't necessarily mean you're just going to suddenly have it now. So that's what's interesting that, those of us who always had that purpose and meaning will find a way to do that yeah. now. Those who aren't, you know, used to giving back and connecting and using what they've got for good and to make a positive difference, why would we expect them to suddenly do it in lockdown? So it's interesting to see for whom that is part of their life anyway. It definitely is. And from a personal point of view speaking, before that happened with me, and I've no qualms in admitting this, and I've, it, it caused me to have a look inside before ever looking out. And I, I, I wouldn't have been coping with this as well. And I know that for a fact. Whatever it is yep. about it, I, I have this distraction. It gives me a focus when I'm not doing it. I'm writing notes. What am I going to say? How am I going to say? I'm watching old fights. It just absorbs me. I can't. I'm going to let you go because I know you've got a busy, you've got a lot of things going on and you need a little bit of time to yourself as well. But the last thing I'll say to you is um, there's a phenomenal, phenomenal Irish, English in general um upsurge in boxing around the world guys and girls yeah. for me boxing is not about lads it's not about girls it's boxing if you're a good boxer i never feel the need to introduce stacy copeland as the female fighter because it's contradicting itself i do the same with katie taylor i do the same with her it's boxing so if you're a good fighter you're a fight you're a good fighter and that's you're a boxer end of story but we've got a crop right now in ireland and england who are about they were in the process of qualifying for the olympics in in the yeah. uk you've got absolutely just frightening talent, the likes of Lauren Price, Rhiannon Dixon, yeah. S- Sandy Ryan, Rosie, the list is endless, and invariably they're going to come up against our own Kelly Harrington, we're going to come up against our own uh, Emmett Brennan, we're going to come up against fellas like Aidan Walsh, Michaela Walsh, It's there's some really, really special talents out there. How will this be affecting their mindset? Because they'll, all of a sudden, they've had a very definite, and I've spoken to girls and guys, they've had their calendar under, their countdown on their phones. So do you think this is going to affect them, Stacey, from your own experience, or will it at all, will it just make them a little bit more uh, determined. I think it, it's it'll be individual for each person. I mean, none of us know each person's circumstance. Um, if it depends on where you're at as an athlete. I mean, if you're carrying a bit of a niggling injury, you're probably going to be glad. <laughs> you know, there will be some athletes, bizarre as it sounds, who'll be glad that it's been put back a year. You know, there might be people who've had you know underlying injuries that you're just going to push through if there's an Olympics on the horizon. And that goes for every sport, not just boxing. So if now they've got this chance to have downtime and get better, it might actually be to their advantage. Um, there might be others who this was a little bit soon, do you know what I mean? Uh, who were very young, yes, who, yeah. you know, in, in different sports. And actually another year of maturity, mentally, physically and emotionally, again, could serve them well. So there will be some people who this turns out to be a precious year for them where they'll be that bit more ready. For others, it'll be very tough. Um, and I think, like you say, that, that resetting it can be very, very difficult. But I, I do think for most of them, they should be able to do it. One, because they've got another date now. And athletes are, are all about yeah, goals. Your whole point, life actually, revolves yeah. around goals. And they've got a whole entire year now to redo that process of building up, getting ready and tapering down. It's not like they've said six weeks, eight weeks or it might not happen, they've said it will be in a year and it will be these dates. That's really, really helpful. In fact, the worst time will have been those few weeks, a few weeks ago, 
when, when they were know. in limbo. Yeah. As soon as you know, you can adjust and reset. All athletes should be able to do that. There's absolutely no reason why they can't deal with this with a full year. Obviously, it's a massive setback, and your fear would be, will I be at my peak again in a year? Will I have an injury? Will something prevent me from going next year when I would have been able to go this year? That would be my fear, that will something take it away? But that's always the case. So, barring that, they should be able to reset. Plus, a lot of them will have fantastic people around them. Coaches, nutrition staff, S&C trainers, psychologists, family, you know, loads of great people around them who will keep them positive and say, right, you've got to stay focused now. You've still got to have this as your goal. And really, if you've been building your entire life for that goal, what's a year? On the grand scheme of things, it's just another year. And you'll always be able to look back on it and talk about it. And, you know, it'll be part of your story that, wow, I was getting ready to the Olympics and you never guessed this bloody pandemic hit. Yeah. And I had to readjust everything. And, you know, so they should be able to, I, I, you know, and, and by now they should have accepted it really, um, I would imagine. I'm not saying they should. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> what yeah. I'm saying is that, that you know, that, that I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of them should have been able to. Some won't. And that's fine as well. Not everybody will. Um, you know, by now, some might be completely lost and really still working their way through it. And that's totally acceptable, totally understandable. But I think most, probably, I would imagine by now, have got wrapped their head around it. A few weeks ago, no, when you're like, oh, is it on? Is it off? What's happening? That's an awful place to be in. But once you you know that's what we're dealing with, right, we're that's what we've got to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, I think athletes and teams and governing bodies and all the organisations within it will have done a great job by now and should have a plan in place for those athletes to have an idea of, right, this is how we're going to get through it. So I think a lot of them will have been able to do it because as an athlete, you're building resilience all of the time. You're made to deal with setbacks and it's what we talk about a lot. And we have a great set of, you know, approaches and skill sets that lend themselves to that, like controlling the controllables. And that is what they'll be saying right now. You cannot control what's happening on the wider scale. So let go of it. Don't wrestle with yeah, it. Just control what you can, which is keeping your mindset strong, watching videos of your opponents if that helps you, working on stuff. You know, the coaches will be sending them stuff. So by now, they should have had that adjustment period, I would imagine. And most of them, will have, they'll be gutted, obviously, but they'll have hit that reset button and go, right, we go again. Um, some will still be struggling, of course, and hopefully they're getting that support, and I'm sure they will be, but... Yeah, generally, I reckon they will have adapted. They're very adaptable creatures, human beings, and athletes particularly so. Particularly so I think most of them well, will have... fairness, but we'll, yeah, we'll be a little absolutely. bit biased because we, we, you're the guys we love and admire and respect and watch the most. So in fairness to boxers... Oh, but look at the changes we have. Incredible. You know, I'm, I'm sure other sports do, but God, you can turn up to some of these tournaments and yeah. the weigh changed. And then, you know, I've been to somewhere they've, they've not even... We got to an event in Sweden once, and the night before they were like, um, oh, we're going to take you for a meal and took us to a Chinese restaurant. And we're like, oh, we can't eat this. We've got the weigh-in tomorrow. No weigh-in, don't worry. And you're like, are they winding us up or are they calling our bluff? Or? And we got there and they just looked at us and went, you look about the same weight. This is fine. And off we went. And oh you're like, my God. all right, then, okay. You know, there's all sorts of mad stuff that changes in boxing and, you know, it's the, and, and the, in the professionals as well. It's I mean, it's, it's bizarre, the professional side of it, isn't it? So maybe we're 
more accustomed to it. Who knows? I, I, yeah. I don't know enough about one, other one of the people. One of the girls I want to give a special shout out is in all the porn. You sparred with it yourself, and, and I'll, I'll ask you just before you go is you're, you spend a lot of time, a, a good bit of time down here with Liam Breardon and Eden Derry, which is only a, a stone's throw away from myself. But one of the girls there that you're, you're the scenarios is was Gronje Walsh. Gronje won a, a silver medal in the European, the bronze medal in the Europeans last, the back end of last year. Um, went along, was training away, ready for selection, and damaged a ligament in her hand just before squad selection. So it was thrown back. She was given twelve weeks or six weeks to be back. So I want to give a special shout out to her. She's a great girl. She had she's she's she chatted is. very very highly of yourself and and yeah, um, she's lovely. she went through a tough time and now this time has has allowed her rehab that injury and she's absolutely chomping at the bit and dying to get back. So it goes to show one hundred percent what you're saying. There's pros and cons for everybody. If you take the pros, there's nothing to stop you really, is there? Yeah, and really, it's about it's about the leaders in those teams stepping up now. So if you're part of a team sport, the captains need to get a grip of this straight away. Yeah. And if you're in like a you know an individual sport, you're still part of a team. So the coaches and the boxers who take on those leadership roles within those teams should be saying these things. Control the things that you can control. See this as an extra extra year to gain experience, get even better, work on those little bits of your game that you would want to do, strengthen yourself, get your fitness that bit better. You've got a, a gift of a year to be even better for those qualifiers or for that Olympics when you get to show off your talents to the world and use it as a positive. That's what they should be doing because that's what sport is brilliant for. You know, it's, it's, it's such an incredible way to do that from the age of five or six that, you know, me and my boyfriend were wandering along the road uh, the other day when we went to drop off some food for me, me nan and granddad and there's a little little boy on his bike with his dad and he fell off and he was like all upset and his dad you know was doing that come on now keep going you know trying to g him up yeah. and, and i thought that in, in a tiny split second is what sport gives you throughout yeah. your life that ability to yeah. he, he fall off the bike it hurt he was afraid of getting back on he felt a bit disappointed he was a bit embarrassed because it had happened on the road and uh, he, but he got back on. He got back on the bike, and his dad was there coaching him, mentoring, gene him up, you know, encouraging him, which is what coaches do, and family and friends get behind us. And you know that that kid sucked it up, took a deep breath, got back on the bike, put his little helmet back on, and that was it. You know, pedal to the metal, and off he went again. And as he went past us, I was like, "Well done, mate!" And he was beaming and smiling. And I thought that in a in a tiny thing it is what sports does, and on a massive scale, that's happening to every potential Olympian. That's how they've got to deal with it. Get back on the bike and get on with it. And that's what sport gives you. It's, it's incredible, really. Without you noticing it, yeah. that is what it does from a young age. And just the last, very last part is you're in the gym. You're trained there with Ricky. You're training Ricky's gym. You're training with Blaine. Is that right? And, and um, Yeah, my coach is Blaine. You've got two Irish lads at the minute. Yeah, I was going to say there's been a big... And, and I had Ricky on since I chatted to you last. One, one of my really, really highlights of this was to chat with Ricky. And again... Stacey approves to me what a normal person you know what I mean just because you've got all that fame and all that wealth and all that everything else you don't have to become some sort of subhuman or some sort of pers- caricature of yourself you have Brett now Brett McGinty is there and you've got Chris Blaney, Chris Blaney two big, yeah. two bigger chancers and rogues you will never meet and it's well matched with Ricky <laughs> who tells me he should be called Ricky O'Hatton because he believes he's half Irish so there's a great <laughs> atmosphere and that commu- combined atmosphere then allows you guys bounce off each other and I'm sure that carries on through this. So it's, it's again, it's the collective feeding into the individual. I'd say there's never a dull moment. To be honest, I, I train mostly in the evenings. Like Blaine trains Ricky's fighters with him in the day. Um, so I, I usually get to maybe one of them a week now that obviously I'm not at school full time. 
Um, but mostly I train in the evening with Brad Ray. So it's me and Brad and Blaine. Um, so we're like a very, very small team together. But to be honest, it's just a great banter, great camaraderie. And like now, I mean, we're in touch. I mean, we must, even in whether it's lockdown or not, we must send about yeah. 50 messages a, a day together on our little uh, little group, me and yeah. Brad and Blaine. And, um, and it's, you know, like we have a really good laugh. We can have, make fun of each other like no one's exempt. Like everyone's, you know, you can't do anything without getting hammered for it. But then... When it's time to work, we really get down to business and push each other. So we're behind each other all the way. We've got a really, really good small team. In it. And really, that's what you need is a small team you can trust who are behind you or on your side in your corner rather than loads and loads of people who'll drop you at the drop of an app when it doesn't go right. Do you know what I mean? So we've got a really, too. really... Yeah, and training with them too is something I look forward to and it's got me through all these months of training without a fight and these difficulties with injuries. And there's a massive mutual respect and... We're all keeping in touch now, like making sure we're keeping up with training and keeping on the ball with it. And Blaine's been fantastic. Yeah. Like when I had my hand surgery, we've got a really good sling and he trained me on pads every day with one handed and he was figuring out how can I just train a fighter with one hand. And then I went on crutches and he was doing things with me in a chair. And, you know, I want to be in the gym. He's had his hands full, hasn't he? <laughs> Everything. Well, and he's great like that. You know, if you show yeah, that, finding him, a way. He, will, he will give it you back. He won't be like, what are you on about? We're not doing stuff in a chair. He'll be like, right, okay, I'll help you. We'll find a way because I always want to be in the gym. You see, I don't like having gaps from the gym because I don't think it's good for your mind. Yeah. I think you need to stay in that fighting mentality and, and stuff. And he's been brilliant like that. So is Brad. So, you know, as much as everyone else thinks what she's doing, doing shuttle runs on crutches and punching the bag in a chair, <laughs> I'm not bothered yeah, because that's just how I am. And they don't, I don't need people to understand it. I just need to do it. And they've been great with accepting that. So, we're really lucky with the environment we've got at the you gym. Really, and, and, and I would say... To be fair, if you get a chance to come down, it's brilliant facilities. It's nothing from, like, what I grew up in and what we all grew up in. Like, my granddad's gym, I, you know, I do a couple of classes a week there for people, and it's like, you know, there's a bucket under a leak. And yeah. Do you know what I mean? All that, like, Proper old school, yeah, that. yeah. But that's yeah, where it that, started. That's we, where, we all love that. And that's where you learn to appreciate what... gym in like that. It's dead nice facilities, and... It took a bit of getting used to, but it is lovely having those facilities. Yeah, and that's where you learn to appreciate what you have now from those days. Oh, of course, because you know there is actually showers where you don't catch some disease, like at yes. <laughs> most amateur gyms. Like you, they go, "Oh, do you want a shower after?" And you're like, "No, nah, honestly, I'm alright." I'd rather smell. You're looking at it, I'm not going to come out of there clean. I'm going to come out with something really bad. No, thank you. I'm alright. <laughs> like, you know, whereas Rick, Ricky's gym, like, there's proper changing rooms, like, that the actual public use, you know. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. So it's Graham, a good pal of mine, G-Train, is heading over there to do a week sparring with Chris. So when he goes over, Chris, I've said it to myself to go. So I plan on getting over there. When I do, I'll make it my business to make it, to meet with you, shake hands and have a cut. Yeah, have let's a know, yeah. Because it, it, be it's been a real, there. real joy, Stacey. You're, you're, you're a credit to yourself, to your family, to your dream. What you're doing is inspiring me. It's inspiring people so far wide and around the world. Can you just tell us before you finish up, where can people see about Paved the Way? Where can they learn and how can they get in touch with you or, or what can they do to... Yeah, to well, we've, we've just... Um, three weeks it is now since we got... Um, we heard from the Charity Commission to say that we've achieved charity status, which has um, been nine months of really hard work. And, um, you know, we've finally got there. So really, really delighted that we've now got charity status. Obviously, this is where all the work begins now. Um, so we don't have our own social media yet because obviously we're just setting up. But um, that you know, there's information on my website, um, Stacey Copeland Boxing. Um, I think that is, and then there's also um, my Twitter at S Copeland Boxer, 
and Instagram at Stacey Copeland Boxer. And there's loads of paper waste stuff on there. And if anyone's got any questions or anything that I can help with, you know, I'm always really happy for them to send me a message and, and obviously I'll reply and, and, and get in touch. But um, thanks for having me. And again, like I said last time, you know, I think it's brilliant what you're doing and these things are really important. And, um, you know, you, your approach to it and the way that you interview everyone and stuff is, is getting those messages and stories out there of not just what happens in the ring. Not at all, Stacey, thank you. I'll put all the suggestions from earlier on in the show in the below in the notes below today's episode with links to Stacey's social media and anything else that we've talked about in this episode. That's it for me and them until then. Get in touch with your thoughts, suggestions, stay safe over the next few days and reach out if you're feeling the pinch and even if you're not, it's good to chat and we'll be back really, really soon with another bumper episode.